Jesus. Okay, I'm going to take you to James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. I really I mean this. There is so much going on in the Holy Spirit's movement. And that is because of such a beautiful congregation with such a history of journeying with Jesus over so many years, decades. God brings forth the fulfillment of all those prayers. No one prayer that he hears ever then falls to the ground and goes nowhere. It may fall to the ground in the, in the prayer's life and die as a seed. But when it comes forth, it sprouts. And I think we're in that moment. And so what I'm going to do is an attempt to introduce us uh, to the greatest individual story of someone being crushed into perfection and beauty with the book of Job. And so I'd like to read in James. Um, and again, I have, I'll just tell some of my own story on it. So James chapter 5, verse 7, please. Father, I just thank you that uh, uh, the great fragrance that you want us to be as we are been given to be a fragrance before God a fragrance to those who are saved fragrance to those who are perishing that all things are being led forth we're being led in your triumph that you will claim uh, all that is yours in us wherever that part has been kept back or wherever that part has been now we we're disconnected. We don't even get it. We don't understand it. We just yield our souls to you, that we might be uh, lifted out of the, the prison of grief, or sorrows, or loss, or injustice and offense, of all the places that hell is confident that by locking us there, we won't continue on but actually curse and die. But we thank you. Your confidence is in the Son, and the Son has begun a good work in us, and we'll see it through to the day of our completion in him. In Jesus' name, amen. So, therefore, be patient. This is a longamity, long-suffering, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. We are in the days of coming the early and latter rain again. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, and he's near. And his nearness is going to be felt and seen more and more in all of our lives. The summation of all things into Christ has already started and it's going to feel the gravitational pull of the throne room as we all yield everything back to him. It's going to be wonderful. But there's pressure. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's one of the admonitions always to all in all things is when we are walking through something to do it cheerfully. The opposite would be grumbling, murmuring, being frustrated. And that, how can we be grumbling against each other when we're being compacted into one body? So it's an admonition. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Uh, the, the, the suffering that we uh, 
will endure is the hardship, the pressure, the things we're going through. Brian did such an excellent job on Sunday, uh, you know, demystifying how we become into his likeness and our soul yields even through the pressure that we have to walk through. And patience, again, is long-suffering. So, indeed, we count them blessed to endure. See, there's the call of the last days will be endurance. Jesus' own words said the mark of the overcomer in the last days is by patience we will possess our soul. So there's a requiring of of being able to hold our soul in agreement with the goodness of God in the midst of an awful situation, with the faithfulness of God, with it looks like we've been forgotten, in the joy of the Lord when it feels like there's nothing but sorrow surrounding me. It's that patience, endurance. We possess our soul. You've heard of the perseverance, and this is of Job. This isn't the long-suffering. This is, this is where it means to remain under. There are certain places that we either get out of and miss the moment that we were going to encounter God in, and he waits for another opportunity to encounter us in another setting, or we just stay where we are and work it through, and there is an outcome. He says, you, we count those blessed to endure. We've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Nothing, absolutely nothing that each of us are individually walking in, going through, is beyond God's purpose that he has an end intended with. He is sovereign in fullness because he is majestic in power. He gives room for us to choose and to learn the power of choice and the wonder of choice, but he has got an end. He wrote the book, the Revelation, as you already put it in the Bible. So we are on a journey that he has intended, and that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. This is the one who we will meet at the end of the journey, the merciful and compassionate Lord. Yet there will be many things that will contradict that and counterfeit that. And so we have to just say, wait, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. That's an interesting, uh, again, why, why insert these kind of little like advice statements? Like don't grumble and don't swear. Don't make vows. Because so many times in the pressure that we're in, we try to get out of it with ways other than just finding the Lord in it. You know, don't, don't try to get out, let him in, and allow him to have his access. So, I believe Job is in a picture of the end-time church coming into full victory out of self-righteousness and self-resourcing into God's righteousness and God's glory. And so, if, I, if you'll allow me, let's go to Job chapter 1. I'm going to bounce through. This will probably take at least two Sundays. And I don't want to make it a teaching book. The book of Job is not a book of teaching. It's not a teaching book. Because there's a bunch of chapters that aren't even true. They're true that they were written, but they're not true about God. There were four, three friends who spoke not right about God. Job never spoke wrong about God. But Job had a journey that he was walking through that his soul was in great grief. 
So going back to chapter, let me just find myself so I can bounce through that. Job is, uh, there's only four other books in the Bible longer, more chapters than Job. Genesis, Psalms, maybe five. Genesis, Psalms, then Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. So in 42 chapters, that's a whole lot of dialogue. And so it's not a teaching because it's conversations that are going on. Uh, begins in chapter 1 with a conversation that God will have with the angels and particularly Satan. There was a man in, in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. The word blameless is the word for completeness, or why we get our word in the New Testament of being perfected. He was very complete. He was lacking nothing. It will also is the root to the word we will hear often, integrity, which was what Job was counting on, his integrity, and which was challenged by his friends and by the circumstances he was going through. So the seven, he had seven sons, three daughters, and were born to him, and all his possessions were 7,000 sheep. I won't read that, but at the end on chapter 42, God gives an exact doubling of that a number. So it, that's the end intended by the Lord. It's a double blessing, double anointing, double outpouring. Isaiah speaks to that in our confusion, and uh, Zechariah speaks to that in being kept as a prisoner of hope until the Lord comes and brings a double. So his sons would go to feast, and uh, each on his appointed day, and they would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink together. And it was when the days of feasting had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise up early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did regularly. So Job is very conscientious, and he's doing everything within his power to keep his family blameless before the Lord. He is walking blameless, but he's also trying to extend the sacrifice to protect and, and hold the, the children in integrity, something all of us parents have done. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from whence do you, where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Uh, two things. I'll point out lots of little things. In fact, I never loved it, liked this book until it saved me about 10 years ago, maybe longer now. But God points out to Satan Job, but God never tells Job Satan's involved. You would think if I was God and awful things were being done to my son that I loved by Satan, I would want to convince my son that it wasn't me that was doing it. But God doesn't see those awful things as entirely destructive because there are things that will come out of this encounter that will liberate Job from a man 
who's offering sacrifices in order to secure position. He'll take them out of a religious relationship, genuine as it is, into a relationship of full acceptance inside of the given righteousness. The friends of Job, which we'll meet in a few moments, they will be told by God at the end of the conversation in the 42nd chapter, you've not spoken right about me as my servant Job did. And my wrath has been stirred up. So I need you to go get seven bulls and lambs and bring them to my servant Job and offer them as a burnt offering. And he will pray for you and you'll be accepted because otherwise I'm going to deal with you in your folly. So now they're elevated in intentional relationship with sacrifices with the mediator of Job. But uh, there's just... There's just richness that comes out of this encounter that is all demonic in its wickedness and evil, but it is in the sovereign majesty of God, there's a redemption that can only be accomplished for Job through the pressure that would allow him to see something of himself that he could not see without the pressure. And it mainly is pride which is the source of all sin. It's the original sin. And it, is, it, it swims as Leviathan in our heart. And many times we're not even aware of it because it can, it can be under uh, a path of our own integrity where we are observing as, as blamelessly, uprightly, fearing God and shunning evil. So there's, how can there be anything but good? Because that's the pattern I'm living. So Satan answers. Now, Satan is our accuser and he is diabolical and he is a schemer and a deceiver. So he answers the Lord and said, well, does Job fear God for nothing? He says, you made a hedge around him and you've, you've blessed his household and you, all that he has on every side and you've blessed the work of his hands and possessions have increased in the land. So that's God. That's the goodness of our God. That's how God's blessing can rest upon a people. And when he chooses, that blessing is impenetrable. Impenetrable. That's what Job's, that David, Satan's saying. Well, he's just, he just loves you because you're doing good for him. You, got a good, you gave him a good hand. But now, stretch out your hand and touch him as he, all that he has. Touch everything. Just take it all away. And surely he'll curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. There is no temptation that has overtaken us, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with each temptation will make a way of escape that we can endure it. I used to think the way of escape in a temptation is get me out of here. Just get me out of here, and then I'll be fine again. But that's not what the Bible says. You'll not allow me to be tempted beyond my ability, and with the temptation will make a way of escape that I can endure it. So he didn't promise to get me out of the temptation. He promised that I could have a way of escape. The way of escape by, by, by is Jesus, to meet him, call upon his name, to yield to him, to give him preeminence and sovereignty and largeness and trust him. And and grow in that encounter. Now there was a day 
when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house. And the messengers came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And then the Sabaeans raided and they took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants but with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. Oh, while he was still speaking, a series of four bad news on top of each other. Another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That isn't the fire of God. That was the fire of hell, fire of Satan. In the last days, the, the Antichrist and all of that lawlessness will command fires and miracles. But they'll always blame God because the whole point is to turn God's, uh, to discredit God and put him into the image of hell, Satan, and accuse what Satan does as being God's intention because of, we'll find that out in a moment. Anyway, I've only, I'm the only one here to tell you that it's all gone. While I was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands. They raided the camels and took them away. And yes, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. You ever felt like that? Sure we have, right? This one after another. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead and i alone have escaped to tell you so all of his property and all of his children when job then job arose tore his robe shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped oh. naked i've come from my mother's womb, and make it shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. A good position he could respond from. Now verse chapter 2. Because just when it can't get any worse, it's about to. Chapter 2, verse 1, please. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from whence, where did you come? Satan answered, the Lord, and said, well, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? I mean, you know, you think, please, Father, don't point me out do not want to be seen. He's blameless. He's upright. He's perfect, upright, fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity. So we'll begin to become the separator that God's after to make himself his integrity, not Job's integrity. But anyway, he says he's holding it fast, his integrity. Enough, although you incited me against him. To destroy him. You, you provoked me to open, give you opportunity, and, and it would appear in this conversation without cause. There was no reason. Again, Job never told of this conversation prior. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. And stretch out your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Imagine. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of the foot of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took himself a pot shirt, broken pottery, and scraped himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Pressure will go to divide marriage. Pressure will go to divide ourself from God. Job is not ready to curse God, but he is in a very pressing place. Now, whether his wife got that whisper from Satan or whether she understood this, I don't know, but or she just kind of felt like this can't be God. There's God can't be involved in any of this. There's not God anywhere. I wouldn't want to serve a God like this, so forth. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all the adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and so far, the Namahite. El, Bil, and so. They made an appointment came together to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when, they were, uh, and when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And so they sat with him on the ground seven days, seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was great. We are about to enter in for the next 27 chapters a painful discourse that for Job is coming out of the grief of his soul. And the grief is so real, as, as much as we think, well, I think I could keep God in perspective, we can to some place, some time, but sooner or later, somewhere we break under grief. And it's the Bible talks about Rachel refusing to be comforted, the loss of her children. We, uh, it's it's, it's uh, the Shunammite who has to go find Eli Elijah because her son, who is a promised son, is dead and grabs hold of Elijah. And his servant wants to move her away from grabbing, his, grabbing that holy man. And he says, no, leave her alone. Her soul is in much grief, and the Lord's hidden it from me. To Jeremiah, the greatest prophet, to bring an attempt to bring uh, a marriage counseling between Israel and God, with Israel being the, the adulteress, and, and carrying so much that's going through him that he himself it says, my pain is incurable. So grief is not apart from the journey and it will, many have found it. But grief in of itself, I don't know who told me this years ago, but it's, it's true and I've proved it. Grief is the last vestige of pride. It's the thing that says, why should I should not be here? There's no reason for me to be here. This is not where I ever expected I would be. And, on, and it, can, it can get a hold of us. 
So chapter, we're just going to get chapter three and four and then uh, close up. Chapter three, and I won't take you through the 27 chapters. I'm going to take you through the first two. And yeah, and it's worth the read, but, but that has to f begin to approach it with the heart, Re readiness to experience, asking to experience the Lord. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He didn't curse God. He cursed the day. He cursed the day he was conceived, and he said, you know, cursed be the day that may perish that I was born and the night which I w it was said a male child is conceived. And he just pours out grief, bitterness, hurt, wounding. I can't believe. How did this happen? And what he's wanting is death. I wish I could die. I want to die. I don't. I, this, why couldn't I have died? Why couldn't I have been a stillborn and died? Again, feelings humans feel through circumstances, pressures that put us in such a conflict of where am I? How did I get here? What could happen? And he, he spends an entire chapter doing that. The, um, the last two verses. Can you bring me up to the last two verses of that chapter? Because again, it's, it's, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, when I was a young man, and Job was being taught to help us come out of thinking that God was the one who was doing this, there was not only Satan being exposed as he has been, but also there was the idea that this could have been avoided had Job not been in fear, had Job been not giving repetitive sacrifices for his family, had he not anticipated his children causing trouble, I don't know. But what it did for me as a young man, it made Job a book of avoidance. I read Job as, I don't want to, I'm going to read the first two chapters, figure out what he did wrong, then I'll jump to the last two and get the double portion. And, and it worked for a long time. I had a kind of a way to get out of, you know, get out of the thing I was in. Again, I, and then finally you, you can't. You find yourself in that grief. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. So this is Job now, seven days into this meeting with his friends. And all of a sudden what he has done is incited the comforters and mourners who will now become and begin a journey of accusation. And it is subtle. It's very subtle. It begins pretty straightforward, except chapter 4 tells us something really important, and that's uh, that their wisdom was satanic in inspiration and built about the ancient argument that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. So if something bad's happening, you must be bad. There's got to be a cause for you to be in this situation. And that comes alive. But let's go to chapter 4, Job. And I, want to, I want you to see this because uh, there's, there's so much here. Uh, if one attempts, this is uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, if one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? And I've been that Job's friends to many, many of my friends before. And I've had my friends become Job's friends to me. It's kind of like a posture that you 
quickly go into judgment and condemnation. It's human nature. Just, you know, we're going to sort this out and fix it. Surely you've instructed many and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld uh, who, him who is stumbling. You've strengthened the feeble knees. And now it comes to you and you are weary. It touches you and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Well, remember now, whoever perished being innocent. That is such a lie. It is not the guarantee of the innocent not to perish or the guilty to perish. Everyone will perish at one point, but or where is where the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity, they sow trouble, reap the same. By the blast of God, they perish, and by the breath of his anger, they are consumed. The roaring lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken, and the old lion perishes a lack of prey, and the cubs of lioness are scattered. When you read the book of Job, I remember Marilyn's uh, wife, uh, excuse me, Glenn's wife, Marilyn, was the first person, this was about 20 years, 25 years ago. She said, when we read Job, his three friends are not speaking right of God. So you can't take their statements and claim them as truth. And so that kind of had me go, wait a minute, then I don't want to just take any part of the Bible, any part of Job that I like and claim it because maybe I'm getting the information from, it's true, it's in the Bible, but it's a lie being spoken, it's recorded, a recorded lie that's true, like recorded lie in Genesis chapter 3. You will not die. It's a recorded lie. It's not true. You, yes, they did die. When, but Satan said, no, you will not die, but we have the record of what he said. So it's a lie that's recorded. Now, here's the source of inspiration. Now, a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. Please, beloved, know this can happen to all of us, any of us. It happens to us about ourselves. It can happen to us about someone else. In disquieting thoughts from visions of the night, when the deep sleep falls on a man, fear came upon me. But I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. More righteous than God. Can a man be more pure than his maker? He puts no trust in his servants. If he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening, and they perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. This is the satanic impression of God's relationship with man. It's the one he's selling and imparting, that God does not trust his creation nor care for his creation. That He's actually speaking from his own judgment that the angels he had to judge. You know, he's, he's, he's sowing. He's the father of lies. 
That's why Jesus had some, most of his trouble with the Pharisees who were trying so desperately to serve God, but they were under a pretext that was not of a relationship that God is love and God's intent is to collect, gather us unto himself. And he's, he, he, they did not remember they, to learn to love mercy and, and to walk humbly with our God. They did not go and find out that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. So... Jesus had to, you know, in John chapter 8, he had quite a run-in with them all. So, from this point on, it's going to just get thick, little by little, more and more. Job is basically, will be continuing to say, please, you are worthless comforters. Worthless comforters. You are, you're miserable. You, you, and then they would be incited. It's just turning into an argument. An argument. They believe that Job's suffering is because of sin, and he must deal with God regarding his sin. Job knows in his heart that there was not an overt or purposeful sin, yet he will admit that if God were to come to him, his iniquity would be found out. But he has an awareness that his integrity has um, kept him in a blameless, perfect fashion with God, and he has shunned and re removed himself from evil, and he's feared God. And they're saying, you've just been living a lie. We know there's something behind the scene that you're not dealing with. There's some reason. God has turned to be your enemy to try to get you to release something that's hidden in you. And there's a, a one place uh, that I... I in Job 13, 15, if you could find that, Barb, because I want to just close this up. It's worth the read. Just always remember, if it's... L or Bill or Zoe talking, they're speaking from a wrong spirit, and they're not speaking truthfully about God. They're truthful in their feelings, but it's not truth about who God is. Job is speaking out of the bitterness of his soul, the agony, but he's never accusing God of wrong other than he gets to the place that I wish I could have an audience with God. I wish I could get to the bottom of why I'm being put in this situation, but I know I can't. But if I could, and they're saying, well, you've done something wrong, you've done something wrong. And he's saying, well, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. Now they, it just annies up. It's really, by the time we get into chapter 30, uh, 20, 28, 29, 30, it's, it is really more than uh, Job could possibly be claiming for himself, yet he's being forced to do it. I'll, I'll talk about that in one moment. I love this statement. Though he slay me, Yet I will trust him. This is Job speaking. Have we, we've heard that before. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. But, but here's the second line. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. You see, he's not feeling like he's getting fair treatment. He also shall be my salvation. For a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and my declarations with your ears. He's, so he's, he's getting forceful. And the reason we get forceful is because he's being accused of wrong that he has not wrongfully done. And none of us are made to be accused or live well with accusation. That's why the, the last enemy 
against the church will be the accuser of the brethren to be cast down. So he no longer has an audience amongst us against each other. And we won't take up an accusation against a friend. And when that happens, the kingdom, salvation, power, and authority come into full display, according to Revelation chapter 12. They're in place through the, through the resurrection of Jesus, but now they felt full manifestation in the summation of the church. So, uh, just to close this up, in, in, in 1999, we were in a revival that had awakened out of a promise God gave in 1998. And it, it was truly a move of the Spirit from 1998 to 1999. We had 10 different conferences. We had carriers who were awakened. Rosie ran all those conferences. It was crazy. Um, to, say, to, to make a long story short, at the end of that promise, October 9th, right then the Lord said to me in a simple thing, and it, we read about it yesterday. He said, give, you said, the revival you have is too little. But if you'll give it to me, I'll break it and bless it, and I'll distribute it for many. And I knew what that was referencing, the little boy and his five loaves and two fishes. And we were in a prayer meeting right here. It was like we'd have them all the time, 20, 30 people. You can feel the presence of God coming the same way again because there's purpose in everything. All loss has a purpose. That's to gain Christ and so forth. But in any case, the, the worship would be strong, and then I've, you'd fall down. You couldn't say a word because it felt like anything you say wouldn't be appropriate. And then you were going to blow up, so you had to get up and shout and praise and start shouting his name. And in the midst of that, the Lord said, give me the revival. Give it to me. And I'll be honest. I thought, sure, I'll give it so you can supercharge it and it'd be twice as much. No, he took it. And within that week, on the day of the, we had multiple things happen. We had a key intercessor who had been battling cancer, who had carried the Lord in such prophetic fashion, die on the die. And then we ended up doing her memorial on the day of October 9th, and it was a memorial like you've never seen. I mean, people coming to the altar to get saved. It was super. See, when God comes, his afterglow goes for years. It, it, it's impactful. You cannot, the residue, like Moses coming off the mountain, your face stay, keeps glowing because it's, it's, it, 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 we, we, it gets into, into your pores, into your building, everything. Long story short, fast forward. Uh, within a year, the church splits, not out of, uh, out of my stupidity and out of God's sovereignty, I'm sure. He uses my stupidity to stay sovereign. But we were in financial crises, and we were in lack of funds, and I tried to come up with a plan to lay off a few people and put the money into a manageable thing, but I was young and dumb, and I thought, you know, if I'm the, I'm the guy doing the thing, I might as well take, the, take ownership and deal with it. So I dealt with it did, without telling anybody where we were and what was happening. So when it happened, 
the emotions of people came alive because no one had the journey of how we're making this decision. The church council came into agreement. We all, we all took that, but we released three people, and it just created a distrust, a, a fear, a, a suspicion. It just erupted suspicion. We were involved in lots of global ministries at the time, and it was this person's influencing you, these people, you're trying to become that, you're trying to... And, and what I'm finding myself then it's like 2000 at the same time you know my dad just died and i'm finding myself totally i i wrongly thought or maybe i didn't i don't know i wrongly thought that isaiah 53 would be a good place to identify and it says that as he was led as a lamb to the slaughter as a as a uh, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he made, he, he made no defense. So I didn't defend myself. I mean, I didn't try to say, well, that, uh, let me tell you the other side of the story. I just kind of absorbed it. But that, again, is pride. I can't absorb anything. So trust me, if we're going in trouble, I'll tell you way before we hit the, hit the road. Now, I don't do that because that's stupid. That's just me proud. And, um, but I won't argue, and I will not speak evil of people lest, lest I murmur and the judge judges me so there are restrictions any case over the next few years i'm anticipating the revival being returned until 2004 which is now four years after the revival was handed to the lord and the destruction started the lord brought me that simple little scripture in john 12 when Jesus is being asked by the Greeks, I want to, they want to have a special meeting, which could have been very easily, uh, let's come up with a political solution to this new ministry you're in. And he said, you guys are messing with my soul. He says, you know, I came for the purpose to die. And now you're trying to tell me here's another alternative than dying. So he said, no, Lord, Father, glorify your name. He said, unless the seed falls on the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, and the Lord said to me, your seed fell in the ground, but you won't let it die. And I thought, what do you mean? He said, well, you still keep calling my, the revival back. I get in that, you know, I get, give me back my revival. I want the revival. He said, let it die. So I realized, oh, you're right. I keep trying to bring something forward that was gone as though it needs to come back forward. And I wanted to come back on the way I saw it because I had all these visions, I had all these promises, I saw all these experiences. Of, but now, let it die. Let it all fall on the ground. Give it up. Let it go. So I did it. And it was relief because for four years, almost five years, I was carrying what was now no longer a promise, but it was a debt. I went home and told Cammy, ah, God showed me today that the revival is dead. She said, I could have told you that four years ago. <laughs> but, you know, that's the problem. That German in me, that will, I can, I can hold a position way past obvious, you know, wisdom. In any case, that wasn't the end of things. It was, it, it just continued uh, deterioration. Uh, our children started acting out. They're maturing process, they're individuating, uh, and the grief that Cammie and I were carrying concerning the, the loss of what God had promised never being brought forward, it was, it was killing us. We would say things like, God, why did you let this happen? 
We, we were ready. I mean, we gave you everything. We weren't keeping back anything. We were willing for everything to go for you. You had an opportunity. Why didn't you step in here? Why didn't you step in there? Why didn't you do this? And it continued to about 2009, 2010. And I had, uh, somewhere in that time, we were up skiing with our son and we were doing some ministry up in Mammoth and the thought, my son said, you know, we ought to just, you know, let's, let's, do, let's do this more often. And I'm thinking, yeah. I mean, I've been a skier since I was four or five. So I was like, well, this a return to something. And Cammie and I was talking to Cammie. I said, Cammie, I think we, I found these boots, you know. They're only $400, but I want to buy them. And I think, man, we can start skiing again. And she said, well, that's fine if you want. Go for it. But we're, we're staying in somebody's condominium that they're loaning us. And we're using somebody's pass so, to pay for the tickets to go skiing. How are we going to afford this becoming our hobby? And I remember just, just everything. It's like, it's not just the grief, but it's just the sorrow, the how here it is. You know, there's just no rebirth. My hope starts to come alive. And we were driving home from Mammoth. I knew she was right. I knew it was true. But I felt like it was wrong. It was not right of God to do this after all of this. I had just was starting to write, uh, you know, wanting to write. And so I was going to a writer's conference up in Northern California. And I had said to the Lord, I'm going to have it out. I'm done. I've, I know we've got to have a conversation, and I am not a happy camper. But I've learned that you need to hear my soul. I need to be truthful. I need to tell you the story. I know that at the end of it, I will be wrong, and you will be right. But until we get this thing settled, I'm going to be in a, this is now eating me up. I'm, there's so much grief, so much sorrow, so much disappointment, so much hope deferred. So I came up with the idea. It was like a four-day conference. I'd say, I go to the workshop in the morning, and then the afternoon will be me and God time. And I don't know exactly how I came up with the idea, maybe because I was looking for empathy. I thought, I'm going to read the book of Job. So I start reading the book of Job through the four days, and... I realized what God's remedy for Job was the only remedy for any of us when our soul has attached itself to a dream, to an outcome, to a plan, to a purpose, to an interpretation of a promise. And that is that this grief makes my world get smaller and smaller. I get myopic vision. I'm staring at it. How could that happen? Oh, no, here's another bad thing. Oh, no, there's another bad thing. I can't respond. I can't rejoice. Meanwhile, people are getting blessed and encouraged, but I'm just like dying inside. Uh, I'm Rachel, refusing to be comforted. And I started reading Job, started spending long hours and praying and listening. And I realized that what God had to do with Job, which we'll touch on, and I, maybe even next week, there's going to be something about laying on of hands. I'm healing because there's an intent of heaven. Once the 
conversation has got to the place that it needs to be, we got it all out of us. You know, by the end, Job says, I wish somebody could write a charge against me. Tell me my sin. I would wear it like a crown. Dear God. And so now Elihu has to show up. Elihu is the fourth friend who never speaks. And what he does is he leads Job out of his grief and sorrow and injustice and begins to expand who God is. And that really, Marilyn Norda was the one who picked that up for me back those years. And Elihu, I think, could have been the Holy Spirit or type of because he's God's strength is what his name means. And, and he's the one who starts to move Job out of responding to the accusation that sin, and now Job is starting to be quieted. Then God speaks in, out of, the, world, out of the, the whirlwind. And let me see if I can just give you a couple of verses, and then I'll close. I should, I'll just, I'll, we'll get into that. He speaks, he says, who's this, who's, who's this guy who's talking? And, and he's made darkness. He's coming, he's speaking out of darkness, and he's obscuring who I am. And God just has to start enlarging. Hey, do you know where, the, have, where I keep the thunder? Where, I, where do you know where the rain is that I'm going about to drop on the earth today? Do you know, do you know where, can you take uh, Orion's belt off? That's a constellation of stars. Can you take a few of the stars out of the Gallic? And so Job is just starting to get reeling under it. And by the end, in chapter, if you take us to chapter 42, verse 1, please, he has to, he has gone totally away from, it's wrong, I shouldn't be here, this is not fair, I can't function, I'm having a real hard time, it's hard to trust God, I don't know what I, where, how could this be, why can't I have an audience to... Job answered the Lord and said, this is after God's speaking, all of these chapters, three chapters. No, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. Again, we'll talk about that interaction. It is the most, it's what I call the experience of repentance that comes into a believer at all, all stages of our life. But he says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And this man who cursed the day of his death, held to his integrity, day of his birth, held to his integrity, now says, therefore, I abhor myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. His integrity was no more. His point of conflict was in the dust and ashes. His flesh body, his soul's processor. And he says, I, I do it. That's it. So I'm having this experience. I don't know how to explain it. I, I had this just another week ago because it seems like the greatest remedy of God is to say, you know what, Steve, you don't know, you don't have a clue what I'm doing. You don't know what my objective is. You don't know where I'm going with this. And you're accusing me of being bad, and I'm not appreciating that. And so, <gasps> down, low, small. Meanwhile, we had Paul King was ministering on Sunday because I was gone that Sunday for that conference. 
And he comes to Jubilee and he says, the Lord gave me a word for you, for the church. He says, seek a new, don't seek an explanation, seek a new experience. Don't seek an explanation. Don't get an explanation of where you've been and why you've been. Seek a new experience. And Cammie's doing everything not to text me. Remember that? She's going, I got to text this guy. This is, this is his problem. He needs a new experience. And I'm wanting to call her and tell her, but I know we have church. And I'm going, I've had an experience with God that has just rocked my world. I am now a free man from the past, and I'm in a new place. And I don't need, to, uh, I don't need any questions to be answered. And so by the time we get together that evening, it was obvious the Lord had done a great work. But for that season, erased, released, and let go. And I want to just believe you. Uh, Kathleen get, gave a word just not too many days ago. It said, it's time to give everything back to God. Give your promises, your problems, your, your beliefs, your experiences. Uh, there, is, there are things that will have to be taken from us in order for us to experience Jesus in his fullness. That would not be our choice, but we will recognize it's not within our choice to refuse. There'll be things that we will with, with, with push back and say, no, thank you, I don't, I'd rather not. And you'll say, fine, it's on time. Uh, there's, uh, and those are conflicts that when they happen, it's, there's never a way to explain it. There's no, it's, it's, everything's messy in the kingdom because everything is done through man. And man, you know, this predetermined plan of God that Christ be crucified is carried out by the hands of wicked men. So that's the trouble, is we often, we often interpret the, want the agency as the, 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 as the evil of God versus, no, God's got a plan. So if you'll stand with me, I just... In, in over the time, I have so many more scriptures, but in the, over the time, Matthew 19 began to become more and more real to me about the rich young ruler and the hundredfold return. Jesus is the one who goes from a double return to a hundredfold return. And a rich young ruler refused the offer to get, sell everything he had and give it to the poor and come follow Jesus. And they were astounded, the apostles, that he spoke of how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. So then Peter, because Peter's thinking always, well, what about us? We've left everything, followed you. And then he goes and says, there's not one of you who leave house or brethren or mothers, sisters, lands, farms for my sake, for the gospel's sake, will not receive a hundredfold with persecution. A hundred times that. And I want to just share this because I want to pray this over us. I believe it is right now ready to be experienced, received. The Lord, over this time, because it's, it's been a continuum, because everything I believe is more of Him and less of me, more of Him and less of me. Until I experience more of Him, there's going to still be more of me. But when I hear more of Him, I come out limping, and there's less of me. So the Lord asked me a question. He said, what's the difference between giving and forgiving? And then he went on to say, what is the difference between leaving and losing? And I knew he wasn't looking for an answer from me. So I said, what? 
And he simply said, nothing. One is volitional, before the fact. The other is volitional, after the fact. To give is to choose to do so. To forgive is to choose to do so. To forgive what was taken. To leave is a decision of a journey. And to lose what you're trying to keep is, has to be now forgiven. So I just want to, I just want to suggest that there is a great grace coming to the living body of Jesus. And what stands in our way is many of our losses have not yet turned into rubbish. And the many of our losses are what we're focused on instead of the, the gain of Jesus Christ and all that he carries and what comes to bring. Lord, I pray that you who are have an end intended in every one of our lives. There's not one of our lives that's going through whatever we're in that you do not have a plan to be revealed in the end as very compassionate and full of mercy. And we desire to see you there. And we need, we need help. We need your conviction of thy spirit and truth where we have exalted ourselves. Job was told that he justified himself rather than God. And how hard it is to justify God in the midst of wrong things. But help us. Help us, Lord. Now I pray, Papa, that in the midst of this coming week and weeks to come, however long, we can have honest conversations with you from our soul. How did I get here? Can't believe where I am. This is what I feel. Not sure how to move on. And I pray that we won't charge you with wrong, but we neither will we try to be Superman. And we'll let the truth of where I am. I'm stuck. I'm lost. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm fearful. I'm threatened. And while we talk and converse, you will be like you were with the disciples at the way of Emmaus. You will let us tell the story. But the story won't end with us telling it. Because then you'll retell the story from the scripture, from the purpose of God, for the Christ that had to suffer first, then be glorified. And our hearts will begin to burn again. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I now declare that the Lord himself will commandeer the journey of all of our lives, our storyline, all of the demonic lies that have been sown into our being that have told us that we cannot be good, we are not accepted, there's something less than what we were supposed to be, we're not in the place we're called to be, and we will have exchanged that lie, it will be thrown to the ground, we will repent in dust and ashes, and instead we will begin to pick up again a trust that is beyond any reasonable reasonability. We will say, oh my God is going to do a great work. He's a good father. He's going to do a magnificent thing in the midst of his people today. We will begin to praise him when there's no reason to praise. Just thank him for nothing to thank him for. Rejoice when there is no cause for joy. Sing when there is no song to be sung. I declare in the name of Jesus, come a dear, take our stories. Rewrite them according to your story. Father, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Let him take it. Let the conversation begin.
Let his forgiveness come. Let your storyline rise up. Let him hear the truth. Tell him the truth. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I release. The Lord knows our story and he knows where he's coming to release us from its captivity. Lord, I bless your body here online later with the invitation of your knocking on our heart to come and sit with us, have sup with us, for us to talk, converse, until that work of grace and exchange is taking place and release. I bless as you have been so faithful to do it for so many of your saints. Would you do it for all of us? Would you start the work, finish the work, increase the work, include us in it? In the name of our Lord Jesus, we bless you. We thank you for the rain and the protection over Southern California and Northern California from accidents and injuries. And we pray a great grace would come to the earth and a great healing would come to the land and a great outpouring of the Spirit of God would follow this rain and a great hearts and a harvest of repentance and returning to you in a new way. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Drive safely. We'll see you this week.